electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures are up on more solid Q1 earnings um, from Delta City. Pepsi, B of A, beats across the board on macro, too. Philly Fed, Empire, jobless claims, and retail sales, two times the estimates. Our roadmap begins with a landmark moment for crypto, though. Shares of Coinbase surging once again ahead of the open. Plus the reopening trade, how airlines are positioned to capitalize on a post-COVID return to normal. Delta CEO Ed Bastian is going to join us exclusively in just a few minutes. And we'll continue to focus on financials. We've got Bank of America and Citi earnings this morning. Both were ahead of expectations. We'll see how the shares perform, though, given yesterday's somewhat mixed bag. Carl. Guys, we're going to dig into, obviously, the earnings. But, Jim, uh, let's just unpack this retail sales number. Uh, obviously, well above even Goldman's above consensus, 9 at 9.5. Motor vehicle, 15. Furniture, just 6. Uh, clothing up 18.1. Uh, those checks got spent. Oh, I've got to tell you, Carl, it's almost as if everyone has already been vaccinated. People are going places. People are doing things. People are spending. Uh, if this is what it looks like with a quarter of the country vaccinated, what happens when everybody gets vaccinated? I mean, we're going to have retail sales up 15, 16 percent. I mean, now we have to start comparing everything to 2019. But you know what? We're blowing away at 2019 in some of these numbers. So, Carl, I've got to tell you, it's an amazing moment for the U.S. economy. And and Jay Powell is not killing it. Carl, he's not killing it. He's letting it happen. I know you were mentioning uh, talking to Joe a moment ago about why the 10 year is so so well behaved in the face of some of these numbers, not just retail sales, but uh, claims below 600 is a new COVID low. Uh, Why do you think that is? Well, I still think uh, if you look at the Commodity Research Bureau, look at the Bloomberg Index, which I really like, we are still not back to 2018 levels uh, on their inflationary index. And I think that means that that, uh, J-PAL looks at that. I think he looks at the fact that oil could be transitory. Plastic's definitely transitory. Uh, Linerboard not. And I like Linerboard sensitivity. Uh, car's a problem because of, of the cost of freight. Freight's a problem everywhere. But we're not back to where we were. David, as long as we're not back to where we were, why take your foot off the gasoline? Uh, that's a question that's going to continue to be asked. And there are those who are going to continue, Jim, to... Uh to speak concernedly about um, inflation. Uh, you know, guys, we're going right. to talk the financials. The rich Jim, people. Yeah, we're going to talk financials in a bit, Jim, and go over the stock prices. But I'm just looking through Bank of America's uh, slide presentation uh, uh, that's uh, 
come along with their earnings release this morning. I mean, you can see it. I know you probably already looked through it, too. The economic recovery has gained speed. They have a slide. They have a slide on payment spend year over year change in terms of credit spending, debit spending, total payments year to date, total payments monthly, credit card days past due trend. I mean, all of it looking positive, both spending and uh, delinquencies and all the things you'd expect to see. Uh, You would expect, I guess, that's only going to continue. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about a million people opening an account, another another million, another million. Uh, They're still hiring, hiring 20,000 people. But, David, if you do get a rate increase, okay, if you get a rate increase at no additional cost, what can these guys earn? I mean, look, they earned without all these new people not that long ago. They earned almost three bucks, right? Now they have all these new people. And I, I, why can't they earn, I don't know, 330, 340? The street, David, is looking for 260 for next year. Right, right. <laughs> Two, for the end of this year, 290, 290 for 2022, 260 for this year. Well, that's just nuts, David. It can't happen. I know that, uh, that Joe was saying how liberal you can use the word knucklehead. It's a knucklehead who keeps their uh, earnings estimates down here. I don't know, 330, 340 for 2022. David, these stocks turned out to be radically inexpensive. And when they're radically inexpensive, you can see why the stocks have to go up even more. J.P. Morgan punished yesterday because of how good it was. Wells, how much? Because it's so bad, it was loved. It was right. So, David, I think these stocks, they justify. They are justified in their moves. um, I mean it. We and should, they're going to move more. We should point out uh, this. Uh, there did include uh, Bank of America's earnings, a two point seven billion net reserve release. Of course, saying what what we all know, uh, an improved macroeconomic outlook and right. lower loan balances. Yesterday, you also had that with J.P. Morgan. But to your point, I mean, the key, though, will continue to be, are we going to start to see significant increase in loan demand? Uh, you know, we can talk both both for the uh, consumer, but even more importantly, from corporate right. America. I don't know the answer to that at this point, Jim. I still think it's got to happen. I I think that people are caught. uh, We'll talk to Delta. I think a lot of people, a lot of companies were caught like the autos. I mean, the auto companies simply didn't believe that the numbers would be that good. They didn't order enough chips. They weren't ready with the demand. I think that these uh, checks from the government, David, they worked. And they've made it so people are more confident. I think the whole program worked. Now, of course, if you think that it's going to be wildly inflationary, you don't know. But... These banks were the principal beneficiaries, David, of the of the money that went to individuals. And we just have to accept the fact that what people did was they spent half and they put the other half in Bank of America. That's what happened. Yeah. And that's a pretty good scenario for a bank. Yeah. But before we uh, before we get moving here as well, Jim, just give me your take on City, which we did. We see right there uh, looks up in the pre-market, um, you know, net income, seven point nine billion. That was three dollars and sixty two cents a share. Revenue was nineteen point three. Three billion. They did return two point seven billion to uh, of capital to common shareholders, repurchasing as many as twenty three million shares. Uh, and the book is eighty eight bucks on City. Um, what is your take on the quarter? Jane Fraser, of course, having only recently taken over as the company CEO. Well, you're going to get. Uh, you'll be able to get a boost in dividend. The buyback is uh, obviously additive. But what I thought was really special was that she's. You know, City's kind of like what Ford was like. When Ford decided to be a car company in every part of the world, and so therefore just committed to losing money everywhere, 
I, you know, Ford was interesting. They were like sticking by the we will lose money no matter what thesis, uh, which I always thought was a bad way to run a business. David, Citi's getting out of places. Yes. They're getting out of 13 markets. Citi was deeply committed to losing money everywhere. Australia, Bahrain, China, That's India, changed. Indonesia, Korea, Malaysia, the Philippines, Poland, Russia, Taiwan, Thailand and Vietnam. They're, they're getting out, right? Only the moon was mi- only the moon was missing. I mean, if you want to lose money in places, I don't know, Alpha Centauri, they weren't missing there. We got to go to to Carl, David, but the idea of Citi deciding to make money everywhere and not putting money in the Big Dipper, it's a very radical positive. Carl, back to you. Guys, uh, don't go anywhere. We are looking at Delta's earnings, and Phil LeBeau on that point joins us with a very special guest. Morning, Phil. Good morning, Carl. Quickly, let me give you the Q1 numbers from Delta, a greater than expected loss of 3.55 a share. But keep in mind that the estimate was moving around quite a bit. It was at $3.17 a share for a loss in the first quarter. Revenue coming in better than expected at $4.1 billion. But perhaps the most important metric, they swung to positive cash flow in March. $4 million a day is what they were bringing in. Let's bring in Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta. You expect daily positive cash flow from here. It raises the question, and you heard Jim talking about it, if this is what the country looks like with only a quarter of the people vaccinated, what can we expect Q2 in the rest of this year? Well, first of all, great to see you in person, and Phil and Bob. It's great to do this live, and I think this is an indication of what's to come as we start to get our business and our world back to some level of normalcy. Uh, when I look at the first quarter, you know, what's been clear to us is that our business has made a turn, and that turn is active and it's rebounding in accordance with how the vaccination rates are growing. People don't necessarily appreciate 50% of the U.S. adult population have had at least one shot of the vaccine, and 75% of our customers tell us they expect to be fully vaccinated by Memorial Day. So we've seen a huge surge in bookings just over the last couple months. In March, we had twice the amount of bookings that we had just in January, just two months earlier, and that's what led to the elimination of cash burn, the generation of real net cash flow positive $4 million a day in confidence as we look forward to. The thing, though, of all that, Phil, that I'm most amazed by is that we're doing this while we're still missing 50% of our revenue base. International is still largely closed. Business travel continues to be quite muted. And we're still not selling the middle seat until next month. So our our team's doing a great job. It's, It's the resilience of the business and the franchise that's coming through here and the strength of our people in the brand. Lord only knows when the international is going to come back. So let's talk first off with business travel. What's your outlook in terms of what you are hearing back from corporations in terms of how much more they expect to send their people out on the road either this summer or let's go into the fall and into later this year? Well, business travel right now is about 20 percent of what we would expect normally for this time of year. And what the corporates are telling us is that they're waiting for their employees to get vaccinated in order to open up their offices. So with those vaccination rates continuing to climb, I'm expecting that we're gonna start seeing offices reopen this summer. I think by fall, we're gonna see a pretty significant bump in business travel starting back. People need to get back to their customers. They need to get back to their own people, get out to the marketplace, continue to to drive (coughs) their businesses forward. I know here at Delta, we're planning on reopening our campus officially in in the month of June, and I'm hearing more and more people thinking about moving those dates up as the vaccination rates continue to decline. Jim, you've got a question for Ed? Yeah, Ed, first of all, I just love seeing you with Phil. Um, I did something uh, last week that was shocking. I took a Delta flight to Mexico City, and I heard someone say, 
It's an extremely full flight. I thought I could have the plane to myself in the Mexico City. I need to know it. Is it possible that we will have a roaring 20s boom if a plane already to Mexico City is extremely full? Isn't it possible that when business travelers come back that we're short planes, we're short gates, that something's happening right now, Ed, which indicates to me this could be the biggest boom in American history? I agree with you, Jim. Uh, already... Our domestic business, this is going to be led by the consumer, clearly. Our domestic business, consumer business, is back to about 85 to 90 percent of what it was pre-COVID levels. And that's still with a tremendous amount of, of concern in the marketplace until vaccinations get us to herd immunity. So I, I could not agree with you more. I think the pent-up demand is unbelievable. And we're getting everything we can do to get ready to be able to serve that demand come this summer. And I spoke to the CEOs of all these banks. Uh, they expect, because other banks are going for customers, they have to go. They're talking about gigantic travel budgets in Q4. Are you seeing that for the businesses? We are. We are. People know that they need to get back out on the road. And they need to be out in front of people. I'm taking a tremendous amount of visitors into, into our business. I was with a uh, a head of one of the large financial institutions that came down with their team to see me yesterday. And the more people see others are doing it, the more compelling it will be for others to force them, not just to get back out into the road, but also get our businesses back open again. We need, we need to get this economy moving. Already it's, it's doing well, but it requires the businesses now to start leaning in. And it's David Faber. Uh, a quick diversion here from me uh, to that voting uh, law in Georgia. Um, Delta, of course, has been front and center in what has been a pretty heated debate. You know, on the 26th of March, you put a statement out regarding the, the passage of the bill that was, uh, you know, fairly even in its approach. You, you, you praised some parts of it. You also said you understand why there might be people who are somewhat frustrated and there's more work to do. Five days later, though, you came out with a statement that was much stronger, saying, I need to make it crystal clear the final bill is unacceptable and does not match Delta's values. Why the change in those five days? And do you regret having come out with that much stronger statement against the bill? I don't regret it, David. And what happened over the course of that five days, we were finally able to get our hands on the bill. This, this process was done very quickly without a lot of transparency. And none of us knew. It's a 100-page bill. None of us really appreciated and understood all the elements that were in there. We knew there were concerns, but when we saw not only what those concerns were, but we heard from our African-American community here in the state of Georgia. Remember, we're the largest private employer in the state, and we've got a very large uh, employee base who's black. Hearing their frustrations expressed, we felt compelled to have to express that, those, uh, those concerns. Let me play off of David's question with with a follow up. Uh, you know, Ken Chenault, Ken Frazier, uh, they have drafted uh, essentially uh, a pledge that was uh, put out to corporate America over the last couple of days. Uh, our own Andrew Ross Sorkin wrote about this in The New York Times. Uh, and a number of companies and CEOs signed that pledge, essentially saying, look, we are going to be fighting this push for more restrictive voter laws. Yet Delta and you did not sign that pledge. Why not? Well, I thought our statement spoke for itself. In fact, I think our statement was candidly probably a bit stronger than what that statement was. And I spoke to Ken over the weekend and expressed the fact that you know, we've already made our statement. And, uh, and I, I endorse what he's doing. I, I agree in terms of the tone and the context of what that statement was. But we didn't feel the need to go out again, yet again with that same theme. One last question for us before I know we've got a busy day. We're going to send it back to the studio. 
yesterday, the CDC is out with a study essentially saying that, look, we have looked at the impact of either blocking a middle seat on an airplane or filling it with somebody. If there's a little greater uh, distance between passengers, there is less of a likelihood of the spread of a virus. This study comes out at a time when you guys are preparing to start selling that middle seat. Does it give you pause? Do you have to sit there and say, is this the right move right now? Not at all. That study was based on 2017 data. So it doesn't take into account any of the safety protocols that we've implemented, including masking, the electrostatic spraying, the cleanliness of the surfaces, the distancing that we were doing you know, throughout. And as you know, we were the last airline to keep that middle seat open because we thought it was important. Our experts tell us with the vaccination rates where they're at and demand being as strong as it is, it's absolutely safe to sit in that middle seat. Ed, thank you very much. It's good to be back down here. Actually, guys, where we are is the Delta Museum. It's a vaccination site. There are chairs. You can't see it right now, but there are chairs all around here. You're doing what, about 5,000 a day? We're doing collectively on the campus in the airport 5,000 vaccinations a day in our site. Wow, 5,000. Well, it's good to be down here and to talk to you in person. Carl, I will send it back to you. All right, Phil, it's great to see you back on the road. Our Phil LeBeau in Atlanta. Let's get industrial production. Rick Santelli. Yes, Carl, industrial production for the month of March is hitting the wires up 1.4%. Definitely a disappointment. Uh, we're expecting a number closer to 2.5%. Uh, and in the rearview mirror, we actually increased last month's negative number from minus 2.2 to minus 2.6. On utilization rates, also a disappointment, 744 we're expecting a number closer to 75.7. And this follows a downward revision to last month as well, 73.8 to 73.4. So manufacturing for the month of March, definitely disappointing a bit. Uh, but it is the only number today that seems to be aiming in the disappointing direction. Whether it was retail sales or initial and continuing claims, they were much stronger than expected. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, we'll see you for more data at the top of the hour. Take a break here. Futures look pretty good. We'll dive into more of the earnings today. Got some good research calls as well, including more initiations of Coinbase, some price target increases for Goldman, a downgrade of Intel. Back after a break. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Bit of a roller coaster debut for Coinbase yesterday. Opens around 380, currently about 344 pre-market. Co-founder Fred Urson was on Closing Bell last night and talked about the criticism that crypto is simply too volatile to be investable. 
As somebody who's been working in crypto for 10 years, I've heard that statement hundreds, if not thousands of times. I think the reality is that if crypto is to achieve the huge mission that I think it can, which is being a new global digital money financial system and internet app platform, there is bound to be a lot of volatility along the way. Jim, we talked about the Moffitt note earlier in the week where they uh, see a 600 target today. It's BTIG initiating with a buy and a target of 500, talking about first mover advantage and an on-ramp for mainstream crypto investors. Yeah, well, I mean, I told people that they should buy it at the opening and then wait to see if it came down. Uh, it did. But I still think that, yes, the, the $600 price target that uh, Lisa Ellis from Moffitt Nathanson has, I think it's right. This is all a scarcity, Carl. We don't have any other way for a mutual fund to be involved with crypto. And this way you get all the crypto and you also get, I mean, here's one for you, honest management. I mean, I find that to be a pleasure, Carl. Were you at all um, dismayed or did you think, did you find curious Larry Fink's comment this morning on Squawk that at least at this stage, the conversations that, that BlackRock's having with, with clients about crypto is, in Larry's words, a very minor conversation. Well, yeah, I mean, I did a piece this morning just saying, listen, this is it, it really a sideshow versus, say, what Bank of America and Citi and J.P. Morgan are doing, what Wells is doing. And I did something, uh, David, I decided to become an apostate. Okay. After you and I had that discussion of no one ever selling Yes. Uh, Bitcoin. Yes. I went out and so I bought a lot of Bitcoin at 12 because I thought it was a currency. Right. At 12,000. Mm. And I did something. I know people are going to be angry at me, but I paid off a mortgage yesterday with it. I don't know. Is that dangerous, David? I actually sold some. Now I am it's from from the chart, David. I may be, be the only natural seller, but it was so great to pay off a mortgage. It was like, you know, kind of phony money. Paying for real money. What so, do you think? Wait, let me let me back up. You bought Bitcoin at, at roughly twelve thousand, and then you sold it yesterday yeah, at what's called sixty three, sixty four. No, something. I sold half. Half. I sold half. Okay. Okay. Well, I've sold half all the way up. This yep. is a, but it was good. Uh, and then I took that money, which was the money I got from Bitcoin. And David, yes. I paid off a mortgage, a real, which was right, real a mortgage money. In real dollars. I got from yeah. a bank. Got it. Got it. Yeah, so I now own a house, lock, stock, and barrel, because I bought this currency. Well, you did very so well David, on, I don't on know. your ownership of Bitcoin. I think I won. Yeah. Uh, Carl, also, yeah, as we know, Carl, but- Kathy Wood, a big fan of, uh, of uh, Coinbase as well. Uh, $250 million or so yeah. in purchases yesterday from uh, the ARK funds. Yeah, 750,000 shares as she trims some Tesla. We'll get into that uh, after a break as we get the opening bell in seven minutes. Don't go away. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Pretty much what the bulls would ask for on a good day. Uh, Futures are green. Blowout macro led by retail sales and jobless claims. Good Q1 earnings and a 10-year yield at 1.6, which is almost a uh, one-month low or so. We'll get the opening bell in just a couple of minutes.
going to squeeze in a mad dash, get you to the opening bell a minute from now. You can't help yourself. Intel, AMD, it's just you just keep wanting to come back to that, don't you? Well, see, because a lot of people are interested in those stocks, David. That's why I, I gravitate toward that. I can talk about Coinbase. Uh, <laughs> I can talk about uh, Ethereum if you'd like me to. And I'm coming up with some new, some new ones myself. But, you know, yes, Raymond James takes Intel to a cell. Upgrades Advanced Micro and, and then takes NVIDIA to a super-duper buy, David. Intel, they're talking about pain likely to endure in pursuit of their goals. Pain, my forecast is pain, not unlike Mr. T. David? I guess that analyst was just listening to Mr. Jim. T. Yeah, Carl. I think that they were just taking their cue from Kramer, it sounds like. Yes, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Guys, there's the opening bell at the big board at Agilon Health, celebrating an IPO at the NASDAQ. It's autonomous truck company Too Simple, also celebrating an IPO. And we'll talk to the CEO in a little over an hour. Jim, speaking of autonomy, I'm sure you've noticed that Walmart now uh, taking a uh, stake in, in GM and their autonomous effort, uh, the cruise self-driving car company. They got partnerships with all kinds of them, Waymo, uh, Ford, and, and so forth. But... This is a big vote of confidence as we get every day some sort of signal, Domino's delivering pizza, Chick-fil-A testing uh, delivery through autonomy that it's picking up steam. The NVIDIA conference call, the analyst day at Jensen Wong, my regard as the da Vinci of our time. I was going to slip in Michelangelo, but let's just stick with da Vinci. Uh, he just he spent the most time talking about autonomous. He feels like he's cracked the code of autonomous. When I visited out there, uh, they still hadn't been able to figure out black ice. Black ice had been the biggest problem. I think they've solved everything. And autonomous is finally here, which, David, makes me want to own Uber. Because, you know, they become less of a, a taxi service and more of an, a tech company, which makes it so that Uber's the big winner other than Mary Barr and General Motors. What do you think of that thesis, David? I like it. I like it. Uh, and at some point we will have you do? we will have fleets of autonomous taxis and or autonomous uh, cars being used, of course, to the full extent of their economic value, as opposed to what, you know, sitting on the street or in the parking lot most of the time. Um, right. There's another name that comes to mind, though, when you talk about autonomous, and it's probably got the biggest lead still, many would say. Uh, maybe you've heard of this company, Tesla? Yeah, but Kathy Wood sold some, David, oh. so I don't... I mean, she sold some. Mm. So isn't the magic gone to mm, some she's degree? She's allowed to sell a little. She bought some Coinbase, right? It, um, she, she broke the promise of so many people I follow on Twitter. I don't know. But don't Jim, know in, in all seriousness, Tesla has uh, certainly, you know, the bulls would tell you, has advanced uh, a great deal in autonomous. That's the potentially ultimate no, goal has. there as well. Uh, and that's the kinds of some of the it things is. you need to believe, to believe in a market value that's uh, once again above $700 billion for this company. And just to point it out, what, roughly nine times that of GM. Well, look, it's, it's not just hands-free, David. It's the idea that, uh, and this is something that they told me at Waymo, uh, the baby boomers are turning, I don't know, what are we turning? Well, we're turning to the point where we're worried about driving, okay? That's millions of people who need autonomous. Millions. So I think this is a much bigger market than people realize, and it's really focused on the boomers, not focused on the, uh, just on the dominoes. David, one day you'll be a boomer, and you know what? You'll want autonomous. 
Trust me. I'm, I'm ready. I'll be ready pretty soon. Yeah. One day I'll be old is your Do point. you have a car? I mean, you're either a boomer you a or you're car? not. So you're a boomer, but right. we'll both one day be old. Oh. Let's hope. But, Carl, I mean, when they talk about it, Waymo, when they talk about the demand, it really is from the boomers and not from just people going and, and uh, taking their morning commute, which, by the way, has probably been dinged by COVID. So, Carl, I mean, I think it's a very real thing. And it has to do with infirmities and people who shouldn't be driving, who suddenly can be driving. And also, let's not forget drunk driving and also stoner driving once we mm-hmm. approve cannabis drinks. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> There's a natural audience that is millions. What, stoner driving? Yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know. Good point. No, it's a good point. Stoner it, driving. You like that yeah, more you than, than the, to drink than to the be mental stoned. quarantine? Do it the old fashioned way. No, you're right. Um, Look, America's ready for stoners. We don't call them that. We call them cannabis drinkers, cannabis users. But this is stoner driving. And you need, Carl, you're going to need self-driving when we have stoner driving. Well, you got 40 percent of the U.S. population living in states where it's now legal uh, for adult use, Jim. So uh, we're definitely getting there. Um, I do want to get you on, speaking of uh, autonomous and NVIDIA, uh, Taiwan Semi with some of these comments about the chip shortage. By the way, they lift their revenue growth target by about 20 percent. But they do say, even though they're trying to increase productivity as best they can, uh, the tight supplies are likely to continue into next year, which is quickly becoming consensus. Yeah, well, they need uh, they're going to go from 28 billion in CapEx to 30 billion. Well, where? I mean, everybody's sold out. It isn't like you can call Lamb Research and say, hey, guys, could you uh, generate a few more of those machines that we need for capital equipment? There isn't. There's just a line. I mean, this is if you ask for what a shortage is, the shortage is not with chips. It's with the machines that make chips. Now, Applied Materials was on Mad Money, and they think that they have enough machines. But it's Lamb uh, that is really, uh, I think, the the really the, the jewel of the group. And you need more machines from Lamb, Carl. You're just and you're not getting them. I got to go to David. But look, yeah. applied materials is much too cheap, David. Um, I want to stay kind of David. in this area, at least, uh, guys. Uh, let's start with Dell. We what, got with Glaxo. You're we, going right to Glaxo. No, no. I'm going to the two deals. Well, one, of course, is Dell, which we've known about. But the stock is responding positively. That's right. a spinoff of the stake in VMware. We got details. Uh, on that. And it's worth uh, giving them. They've laid it all out for us. I mean, the basics here, VMware holders are going to get a cash dividend of roughly eleven and a half to twelve billion dollars. Remember, this is not going to take place. We first told you about this this summer. It's not going to take place until after September. Uh, It's going to close in the fourth quarter because of tax reasons. They couldn't even think about doing it prior to September of this year. Um, Dell, though, of that, given they own 81 percent, going to get about nine point seven billion dollars and it is expected to close uh, in the fourth quarter. But what you're talking about is their shareholders. Dell, you're going to get 0.44 shares of VMware for each Dell share. They're saying that the current estimated value based on VMware's price, less the impact of the special dividend per share of 27 bucks. That's roughly 0.44 equals 56. No change to the number of Dell shares outstanding. Shareholders there, the economic interest of Dell, excluding VMware, plus the $9.3 billion in proceeds from the dividend. Implied value post-share distribution, they say, is about 38 um, so roughly 4.7 times uh, trailing 12 months uh, adjusted EBITDA. You can see Dell is responding positively to this, as it has. I mean, if you take a look, plus its business has been quite strong over the last year. Uh, but you can see, wow, yeah, 32 uh, percent. And then, Jim, I want to a couple more things, but I certainly want your thoughts on this Timo acquisition, uh, Thermo. 
Uh, it's a large one, $17.4 billion before debt is what we're talking about here, $47.50 a share for PPD. Uh, it's about a 24% premium to the, to the close uh, the other day. Uh, they're saying it's going to be accretive. But what really it's setting this company up for now is sort of kind of being the end-to-end uh, for the biotech industry in terms of, okay, you, you come up with the intellectual property, you do the science, you give it to us, and now it's not just we, we give you the chemicals and the labs and all those things, but now actually we do the manufacturing and we do the testing, right? This is a company that did the research trials for Moderna and the COVID vaccine. Uh, and so I know you don't question Mark Warner, uh, uh, Mark Casper, excuse me, Mark, Ca- Mark Warner was senator. Mark Casper, uh, and few shareholders do as well, do they, Jim? Given their track record of success when they do large acquisitions. Well, it's going back and forth with Mark Casper, and one thing is certain, David, uh, this this stock is reacting the way it should. Uh, they've got so much cash from their gold standard PCR machines that they've got to put it to work. And this is a genius deal because the uh, more that this market stays vibrant, the more biotech companies come public, and there are so many, the more that they have to do trials. And doing a trial is a lot better than doing, than doing a drug because they get paid, David, whether it fails or, or succeeds. So I thought this was brilliant. Now, David, is there any chance that this could be blocked? No. You know that Thermos tried to do some deals. Yes, Kyogen comes to mind. But in this case, you're talking about a company that was once uh, an LBO. It's, still, it's since come back to the public market some time back. But Carlisle and Hellman and Friedman, who took it private, still own 53%. And I'm told the two of them and additional, one additional shareholder, they've got 60% of the vote, the consent for 60% of the vote. It's done. Uh, they're not going to be a question here in terms of a shareholder approval or being held up in any way, uh, Jim. So on this one, Thermo Fisher tied it up ahead of time, given the ownership uh, of uh, profile of the company already was in the hands of two large shareholders. It was essentially sponsor controlled, given they had uh, taken it private and then back to the public markets. But that, that's a good point. I mean, it's listen, it's a serious multiple to revenues. It's a high margin business, but four point seven billion in revenues, 17.4 billion equity value, over 20 billion enterprise values. Not, you know, it, they're paying a decent multiple here. But it's a turnkey operation, David. It, it, what will people do to be able to just make one phone call, send the drug over or, get it to work. And I just think that Mark Casper, once again, has demonstrated that he has got a vision about what has to happen in this world. And remember, he did have he was the first to be able to have something that made us know whether we have COVID or not. And I've got to tell you, he has so much cash. He had to put it to work. High quality problem, David. But this is Look at this. You spend 17 billion. The stock goes up. I know. Well, look at that tenure. Look at that tenure record. That's supposed to be the way it works. Right. Look at him. Yeah. Uh, it's been. Yes. You know, he, he's, but Danaher he's, is the same. Remember. Yes. Yes. Danaher is a very similar uh, a chart. Guys, uh, before I'm done here, let me quickly come uh, to something I've been following now for over a year, which is, well, now Merck's development of a, an antiviral drug called Molnupiravir. We did get a press release from Merck uh, early this morning updating us on the progress they're making, Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics, an update on the clinical development for Molnupiravir. Uh, it's that oral, remember, uh, therapeutic for treating mid to moderate COVID-19, as I pointed out many times, and there are others being developed as well. It could be a key for us because it's not as though the virus is ever going to fully go away, unfortunately. It will always be there. We hope to bring it down to very
very low levels. Uh, nonetheless, with variants and with that being a fact, you're going to want to have an antiviral available that will knock down the virus quickly. So far, so good. Phase two, three trials. Um, they are now moving. They are sort of, you know, uh, the trial design. They're uh, moving to sicker people being enrolled. Maybe hard to find them in the U.S. because you're looking for an over 60 crowd to a certain extent, many of whom may have already been vaccinated. But it is a worldwide trial. Um, this is still an important drug. Uh, and, and we did get that update. You know, Jim, perhaps you get something here in terms of the data by the fall and then you get a quick approval. Uh, would love many would love to see it on the market if, if possible and if it continues to play out the way it has in terms of, again, in early COVID and moderate. It's not for people in the hospital, and they've even sort of abandoned that part of it. It's when the virus first hits, knocking it down quickly and reducing any effects of it and the ability to transmit it. Carl. Uh, it's going to be key, guys, especially if uh, you believe Dr. Gottlieb, who told NPR uh, yesterday that it's going to be hard to get demand, Jim, he thinks, uh, above about 160 million vaccinations. He thinks it's going to be hard to get past that number, given the hesitancy that's baked into the country right now. Really quick, Jim, on uh, Coinbase, uh, still trading below yesterday's open. But what do you think constitutes success right now in terms of price for a new issue like this? Well, I think that there are uh, a number of people who feel that there's just no uh, that it has to be bought every single day. And so I don't think it necessarily has to go up 100 points. But I think you're, you're going to see people put money to work every day and, and it's going to end up being like Palantir. Palantir did a deal uh, that had everybody excited and then it broke down and then it just was nonstop. And a lot of that was we make jokes about it, I don't mean to at all. Was Kathy Wood buying every day, and then you get her now. You get her list of what she buys at six forty p.m. between seven, and she was buying pounds here every day. And look what happened; it went to the twenties. So, Carl, I think that every day you're going to see at six forty p.m. that she's bought Coinbase, and every day she does it, then I think the meme crowd goes and buys it themselves. All right, guys, um, tech is definitely in charge this morning, uh, up about uh, 1% plus. Record high Dow, record high S&P once again, and the VIX below 17. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Hey, Bob. Hello, Carl. It's a great start to earnings season. Three to one, advancing to declining stocks. Take a look at the sectors. They're not really what's critical. It's what's critical is earnings. But tech's leading the way. You can see the growth sectors here. But even uh, defensive, healthcare and uh, consumer staples strong. Energy weak, banks a little weak. This is typical. Once banks start reporting, they're normally weak for a few days uh, into reporting season. I wouldn't be concerned about that. What's amazing here is remember the game. They believe analysts have been underestimating the earnings. So far, they've been right. And so far, they've been spectacularly right. The analysts have been spectacularly wrong. Look at today's numbers here. The U.S. Bank Corp, Bank of America, Citigroup, United Health, Pepsi. Nobody got the estimates right. The highest estimate of any analyst here was way below the reported number. And most of these have 20 or more analysts reporting them way off. We're talking about chimpanzees. They didn't even hit the dartboard, let alone hit the bullseye. And that's what moves the stock market forward when you say, well, we knew they were too conservative. But wow, they're really too conservative. That's why you get the stock market moving 
forward here. If you look at the actual reports, what the stocks are doing here, you can see it's sort of a mixed bag. The, there's been a lot of discussion amongst the analysts on the banks. It's very noisy with the bank numbers here. Most analysts prefer to focus on loan growth, net interest income, which is fair, not great, obviously, instead of reserve releases or other things uh, like uh, trading activity, which is very noisy. So that's why you get the banks kind of moving around. But United Health, Pepsi are moving to the upside here, uh, reminding everybody what moves the stock market, what moves stocks. There's four principal things. Number one is earnings and whether they're going up or not. And they are been, have been increasing. Number two is dividends and whether they're going up. And they have been increases. Number three is changes in the multiple, the P.E. ratio. Right now, I would call it stable at about 21 to 22 times forward earnings. And finally, a lot of people like to look at liquidity. How much money is there to buy stuff around? And that is very high. This is why the stock market is high right now, because these factors are, are all aligning. As for uh, reported earnings, Larry Fink was on this morning, and I want to give you just a sense of just how big the big people are getting. And nobody's bigger uh, than BlackRock, $172 billion in inflows. This is an amazing number. Now, we're talking about all asset classes, ETFs, everything. But that's in a quarter they got they took in here. Their iShares ETF business, $2.8 trillion. That's almost 60% of the value of the entire ETF business in the United States. One company controls about 60% of the entire ETF business. That's an amazing. Larry Fink made that deal many years ago, one of the greatest deals uh, in history. Assets under management, $9 trillion. Think about that, $9 trillion here. And investors in BlackRock have been very richly rewarded. You can see that, that those shares have doubled since the bottom in March. Carl, finally, just want to quickly note my favorite thing, looking at the retail sales number. If you don't think the reopening is real, take a look at these numbers. Sporting goods up 23%, gasoline 11 And my favorite, restaurant and bars up 13%. That reopening is very, very real. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks. Uh, we got more data on the way as well. Let's get back to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. Indeed, we have more data coming out at the top of the hour. Let's pay a very close attention to what's going on in interest rates because it's very counterintuitive. Look at an intraday of 10s. Yields are moving down. Now, why would they move down? You heard Bob. You heard me this morning at 8.30 Eastern. Retail sales were great. Non-seasonally adjusted numbers for retail sales were even stronger. Claims were good. The only thing that wasn't very hot was industrial production pasteurization. But as you see on that chart, all the action actually was right at and slightly before 8.30 Eastern. I'll tell you what's going on there. It's technicals. Look at a two-day attendance. It answers all the questions. A, we probably didn't bounce high enough. And B, we were so close, it was like a magnet pulling us. We haven't closed under 1.60 uh, yield since the 11th of March, as you see on the next chart. And the dollar index, dollar index is following interest rates. There's the one week of the dollar index really getting crushed the last couple of sessions. It looks to be closing at a one-month low, as you see on this chart. Seems like March 11th is a big day, not only for the dollar index, but for interest rates as well. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, we'll see you in a few minutes for more data, as we said. In the meantime, as we also said, record highs for the Dow and the S&P as we get some tailwind here from both macro and earnings. Back in a moment. Strong tape this morning, but the bank's not really participating. Financials as a sector are red. B of A down 3% as loan growth is challenged. Net interest income obviously a little bit weak. And the 10-year yield now below 1.6. 
More uh, Squawk on the Street continues in just a moment. Let's get stopped trading with Jim. Yeah, Carl, CDC and, and uh, really the NIH both have really been not pushing Regeneron's drug. That was the drug that saved the president's life, you could argue, previous President Trump. Well, Gretchen Whitmer, she's the governor of Michigan. She's got what I think is the worst problem on her hands. And she's talking directly about using Regeneron to save lives and keep, keep people out of the hospital. I do not understand why the CDC does not ever talk about this drug and how hard it is, by the way, to get. Some doctors can't prescribe it. Many hospitals don't have it. I think that's crazy. So Gretchen Whitmer is saying this is the hope. Regeneron, I agree with her, and I think that stock should be much higher. All right, Jim. Uh, currently up about three and a third. Um, what's up tonight? American Eagle Outfitters never does TV, and yet they had what is by far the best number of any retail. So we got to have them on. Dr. Michael Mina, I regard as being the foremost doctor right now in the world about self-testing and what we should be doing at home. And uh, it's about time. We forgot about that. It's crazy, Carl. We got to keep the sick people from the workplace because the numbers are still gigantic every day, COVID. So I want to talk to him right now. I can't wait to hear what AEO tells you, too, Jim, because it's been a week of news from LB. Uh, We had some news on Tapestry today, a new CEO. I wonder, are you feeling better about the mall or not? Feeling great about the mall. Teenagers love the mall. Maybe they don't have anything else to do. Uh, But American Eagle Outfitters had the best number I have seen, and Levi's was great. Denim is back. They want to get out. They've been cooped up. They're ready to roll. Certainly, retail sales might indicate that is that, that is true. Uh, Jim, we'll see you at 6. Mad Money, of course, with Jim Cramer Absolutely. at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to The Opening Bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.